A few years ago, I, I planned a trip out west to go hiking with my youngest son, Eli. And um, uh, we went out and stayed at Vetivu uh, State Park in Wyoming on our first night. And we got up the next morning and did some boulder scrambling. It's an amazing park to do boulder scrambling. If, you ever, if you're into that sort of thing, I highly recommend it. After we got done that morning, we packed up camp and we uh, headed out of the state park and we stopped at the highway and I looked at Eli and said, well, which way do you want to go? And he looks at me like, what? Like, I get to choose which way we go? I said, absolutely. I said, your dad is so awesome. He's spontaneous. He's an adventurer. I said, so, you know, we can go left and we can go to Estes Park or we can go to the right and we can go to Steamboat Springs and sit in the hot springs. And he's like, really? I get to choose. I said, yes, I told you we're on an adventure. That, and um, what I didn't say was your dad hates to plan. <laughs> I do not like planning. It just feels uh, confining to me. It feels restrictive, so I stay away from it at all costs. Um, I love God, but I don't like to plan. In fact, I was thinking about when I proposed to my wife when I was a senior in college. I had no plans. I, had, I hadn't thought about a wedding or even about a marriage. I just kind of knew if you like it, you better put a ring on it. Way before Beyonce told us that, and um, so I proposed, and then we get up to Minneapolis where we were traveling to that weekend, and uh, it was just kind of a spontaneous thing, and her brother starts planning for us. Like, so he's saying, hey, you could like, get married in a few months at Christmas, and I'm like, whoa, well, wait, it's slow down a little bit, and that's is how you end up with a two-year engagement, which I do not recommend, and uh, there's things, you know, that it's one thing to not like to plan, it's another thing to not like others to plan for you. And I think that there are some things that um, you can get by with without necessarily having a detailed plan. And there's other areas of our life that it's much better if we do have a plan in mind that we can follow. One of those areas where it's helpful to have a plan, I think, is in the area of our money, uh, in particular in the area of our giving. And God gives us a lot of really good wisdom, and there's some biblical principles that he gives us in his word that can really help us with this. Uh, despite all of that, and despite being a follower of Jesus, early on in my life, I just didn't really, I wasn't really interested in God's plan for, for my money and for giving. In fact, the parts that I'd heard didn't sound that appealing to me. It was like, People would tell me, you're supposed to give 10% of your money back to God. And my question was, well, is that before or after I give 30% of my money back to Uncle Sam? So you're telling me I have to give 40% of my money away before I even get to spend a dime? You know, it just didn't sound like a great, like, I, I could come up with a better plan for my money than that, I figured. Well, my wife and I, we got married, we decided that we really wanted to try to follow God's plan for us and for our money. And um, I can honestly say that I have come to believe that I do believe God's plan is the best plan for us. And that really Jesus is trying to lead us to align our lives with God's will, as Paul calls it, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And sometimes, as Jesus said, this means laying down our lives. It means setting aside our own plans and denying ourselves in order to learn to trust him and to follow him and to learn that he is leading us actually to the best possible life for us. And one of those hardest areas to do that in is the area of finances. It was for me. But the church believes, and I've come to believe as well, that when we follow God's plan for our money, in particular his plan for giving, we actually discover more joy and more life and more peace and more generosity, the kind of life that we desire. And this morning, that's what we're talking about, that when we um, 
When we join God in his plan for giving, we find our home, we find our rest, and we find our greatest desire. Uh, you, may not, uh, you may or may not be familiar with this plan called tithing of giving. Uh, it was really introduced in the Old Testament where God commanded people to give 10% of everything that they had that was really designed to go towards the, the spiritual leaders in the community so that they could provide for the spiritual needs of the people in that community and provide for the temple and the worship and all those sorts of things. And we know this gift, as, uh, this, this tithing, as 10%. But as I read some other authors and things, I found out that it was actually more like 22%, which really isn't an important matter other than to say that God was serious about training his people to learn to trust him for provision and to provide something for others as well, others who maybe were less fortunate. Now, no such law existed before Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Instead, God simply uh, gave people a way to give to him to express their thanks and their desire for his presence and a way for him to continue to live among them and be first in their lives. Giving freely and generously to God was his original plan for giving. We actually see this in the book of Exodus in chapter 35. Uh, as Moses is leading his people out of, the de- out of Egypt, into the desert, into the wilderness, and into God's promised land, um, he met with God often, and God would help him to lead his people. And after one of these meetings, he comes back and he gathers everybody together, and this is what he says. He says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. And he goes on to list all these crazy things that are going to be materials used for building the tabernacle and, and supplying it with all its needs. In other words, for building the home that God will live in among them. And after he's done listing all these things, it says this, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. Notice the words that are used over and over again. Everyone who was willing, everyone whose heart moved them, is to bring an offering, to bring something that they offer, that they give freely. This is not a requirement God simply says, if you're willing, if your heart is moved, bring something to help build my house so that I can live among you. And the response of the people is actually overwhelming. It's crazy. They just keep bringing offerings day after day after day until this happens. This is all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. So Moses gave an order, and they sent the word throughout camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all of the work. Is that incredible? This is an incredible plan, and it's executed amazingly by these people and their generosity. They are so moved that they just keep bringing stuff until they have to be restrained. God's original plan for giving to his work, simply invite people 
to bring an offering. And then they bring as they are moved and as, as their hearts are moved and as they are willing, they bring this offering. There's nothing restrictive or confining at all about this plan. In fact, it's, it's very unstructured. Even I can handle a plan like this. You know, my wife and I, um, we're pretty unstructured, at least I am, and so our plans for our money has been pretty unstructured, I would say. Very unstructured, according to some of you would say, um, which is okay. If you're an unstructured person like me, I want you to say it's okay to be unstructured. There are structured people and there are unstructured people. There are structured plans and there are unstructured plans. And part of the joy of being an unstructured person is we get to drive you structured people crazy. But there are actually some good, like I said, some good biblical principles to keep in mind. And so my wife and I, um, when we first got married and we got out of college, we, we knew some of these biblical principles. We said, well, let's let those guide us a little bit. So, so one of these biblical principles was, was debt's not good, and you should eliminate debt as quickly as you can. Pay back the money that you borrow as quickly as you can. And so we graduated, and we had some student loans, and we were fortunate enough that we had two incomes, and we decided we're going to live off of one of our salaries, and we'll use the other one to pay down our debt. And we were free from our debt within five years, and at the same time, we were able to uh, accomplish some of our giving and our savings goals. Uh, we, had, uh, we knew that it wasn't good to, to borrow money, to just try to live within your means. Uh, the Bible would tell us to, to not spend more than, than what you make. And so we also decided we'll pay off our credit cards monthly. We're not going to spend more money than we make. We'll use credit cards wisely. That was the gist of our plan, and it worked for us. I thought maybe... Uh, I was a little bit weird. Maybe we're just, just the only unstructured people. So I was asking my friend when we were running one day, and he said his plan was the same. With his, when he first got married, they had a pretty um, uh, structured plan. But as they've gone on, it's gotten a little less structured. And I said, well, what about your plan for giving? How do you, how do you manage that? And he said, well, I guess we're fairly unstructured in that too. We tend to, uh, our plan is basically we want to be more generous this year than we were last year. I thought, that's a beautiful plan. And that's really where my wife and I started. We didn't start with this 10% uh, minimum standard that God set. Uh, we started by giving what we were willing and what we were able to give and decided that every year we want to be try to be more generous this year than we were last year. We want to be try to be more generous next year than this year. A tithe is a great standard, but it's a great starting place. And so my wife and I have continued to try to do this over and over. This year when we decided to buy a, a house, you know, we decided we needed a little bit more structure in our lives in order to be able to do what we wanted to do and accomplish what we wanted to do. And so we, we actually got our budget together and we started living more tightly according to our budget. It was a time when we needed more structure. And if you're somebody who is looking for a little more structure or looking for some help with planning how to use your money wisely, I want you to know we've got a great class coming up in January called Financial Peace. You can find out information on orchardcentral.info. Three families participated in this a year or two ago, and they were able to eliminate $27,000 or more in debt, non-mortgage debt. And they also were able to save, as a combined group, like $58,000. This is what financial planning, good financial planning, biblical financial planning can do for you. And so if you're somebody who would like a little structure, I encourage you to check out that plan. Same thing for giving. What is your plan for giving? Do you have a plan for giving to God? What if your plan was simply to give 
as your heart is moved. To give as you are willing to give. This is what the plan was, and the people had to be restrained from their giving. And so I had to ask myself, what was it that so moved God's people to give so generously? In fact, one translation says that the people got carried away with their decision to give freely. They, they, uh, it wasn't just what they gave, but how they gave. They, just, they gave joyfully, they gave generously, they gave selflessly. And it's a great question if you're a senior leader trying to raise budget to ask, you know, what encourages people to give that so much that they have to be contained? That wasn't my frame of mind. I was actually just wondering, just curious as I read this. And so I actually went back and I, uh, I read the context, like what was happening in the desert that would move these people to want to give so much and so freely. What I found out was that this event actually happened right after Moses came down the mountain with the second set of stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. You may recall that the first set, Moses shattered because he got angry, because he had gone away to meet with God, and while he was away, his people had asked their leaders to build for them this golden calf, to make this golden calf that they could worship something, since, since they weren't with God, and God wasn't with them, they didn't think, and so they made something else to worship, and, and Moses comes down, and he sees this, and he sees them, that they've been carried away by their desire to worship something. And they've, they've strayed away from God, and they're going in the wrong direction towards disaster. It's kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles. You guys remember that scene? Steve Martin and uh, John Candy, and they're driving, and, and they're going the wrong way in their state, that people are trying to get their attention. And Steve Martin says, well, how do they know where we're going? You're going the wrong way. How do they know? And John Candy's like, yeah, how do they know, you know? And meanwhile, they drive into disaster. This is just like us, right? We're given this God-given desire to worship something. And yet we have this, this uh, tendency towards spiritual ADD. So the next thing that kind of pops into our mind, the shiny object, grabs our heart and it grabs our mind, and we're chasing after something else. And we're, we're born with this desire to worship something. In fact, when I was four years old, my parents took me to Disney. And um, I was so excited to go see Tinkerbell fly from the castle and light the fireworks. And so I, I got ahead of my parents, and the next thing you know, I was separated from my parents, and I was lost in Disneyland. Actually, as I told the people later, my, my parents were lost. <laughs> this kind lady picks me up, and I get the front row seat, and I see the fireworks, I see all this stuff happen, then she gives me to the police officer, and they take me to Lost and Found, and they give me cookies, and it was awesome. It was great. <laughs> Not for my parents, right? Imagine losing your kid at Disneyland. Imagine losing your kids in the desert. Now, I got carried away by a desire inside when I was four years old. Why do 70,000 fans get carried away by a desire every Saturday at Kinnick Stadium where they bring an offering of 50 <laughs> to $100, right? to see a team that's not that good. I hear 20,000 show up in Ames for the same thing. We have in us an innate desire to, to, to cheer on and to shout praise and to celebrate and get carried away by something greater than us. This is just, it's in us. We're created with this. In fact, one of the early church fathers, an author, Augustine, says this. It says, the whole life of the good Christian is a holy longing. 
We are born with a holy longing, a longing for the things of God, longing for things that, that God gives to us and fulfills, uh, fulfills in us. The problem is, is how do we, what do we do when we aren't experiencing this holiness that we're longing for, this goodness of God that we're longing for? Now, God is aware of this problem. He knows how easily distracted we can be and the power of these desires to carry us away into dangerous territory. In fact, that's exactly what happened to the people coming out of Egypt into the desert. They got carried away and they're headed in the wrong direction and they experienced some bad things as a result of it. In fact, after this whole worshiping of the calf, they experienced a plague because they'd got going in the wrong direction. And they experienced kind of this, this uh, the threat of losing God's presence. God gets frustrated with them and he, he calls them a stiff-necked people. He says, you guys just go on to the promised land without me. Because I'm so frustrated. If I go with you, I might get so angry that I might actually kill you. Which sounds like a parent of a rebellious teenager. Maybe just I thought that. Don't say that to your teens, but you know. But suddenly the people, they're, they're distressed, the Bible says. They're, 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 they're concerned and, and they start to mourn over this idea that God might remove his presence from them. Not only afraid of losing God's presence, but, but they realize this desire to have his presence with them. They were learning that not only was God's presence necessary to lead them to their new home, but his presence was their home. So Moses goes to meet with God in a tent just outside of the camp, and the people are all watching, and this cloud comes down and surrounds this, camp, this, this tent. Kind of weird, but they stand out there, and they're in awe as they watch this. And Moses says to God inside the tent, he says, remember, these are your people, and you told me you would help me lead your people. And so God relents, and he says this. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses comes back down, and this is when he says, let's take an offering. God wants us to take an offering so we can build a house so that God's presence will remain with us. And his face, when he tells the people this, is probably glowing because it would get, he would get so radiant, his face would glow after he spent time with God and probably freaked people out a little bit. Right? But they had seen this cloud come down in this tent. They see his face glowing, and they, are, they know that he has been with God, that God's presence is still with them. And they remembered how powerful his presence had been in their lives and how much they needed his presence. And so they are ready to give generously and selflessly as, a, as an act of saying, thank you, God, and an act of desire. We desire your presence with us. And so they start bringing more and more and more until they have to be restrained from bringing their gifts. And the beautiful thing about this plan is that God is providing a way for his people to make their home in his presence. And the beautiful thing also about this plan is that the more that people are able to express their gratitude and their desire by bringing their gifts before God, and with this thing that they most desire, the more they grow more fond of this treasure that they have and become more committed to this treasure that they have. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also what we value, what we appreciate, what we invest in, what we give to, that's our treasure. And, and, and our minds and our, and our decisions and our will starts to follow after what we treasure. And it seems to me that God designed this whole plan for giving 
to help us find our treasure in him and keep him as our treasure. God's people would treasure God's presence and give generously to build a home for him. Their hearts would continue to find their way home to him even when they got lost. This is so much more beautiful than, than giving out of obligation or giving out of guilt or giving out of some rules that say you're supposed to give this. All those things kill our desire. In fact, that's exactly what happened to the religious leaders in, in Jesus' day. They were giving out of this, out of this commitment to a rule. And, and they sacrificed their desire for this soul-killing, performance-kind-of-based uh, way of giving. And Jesus comes along and he appeals to people's desire. He says, if, you, if you've experienced the presence of God, if you, if you cherish this, this presence of God, if you're thankful for this presence, then, then give how you feel led. Give generously how your hearts move you. If you have desire for God's presence, give, give generously and then see if your desire for that presence doesn't continue to grow. It's not a strict plan that says, you know, you have to give so much in order for it to count. Simply invest in your desire for God. Give freely and generously. Stay grounded in finding your home in his presence, his life of abundance. Giving to God also helps us find rest. Did you catch what God said to Moses when he asked him to stay and help him lead his people? He said, not only will my presence go with you, he said, I will give you rest. This is exactly what he did when they moved into the promised land. How do we know when our hearts are at home? Hearts are at rest. Our minds are at rest. Some of us are so tired and weary, we're not sure whether we can face tomorrow. Maybe it's a soul-sucking kind of a job that you have to go to tomorrow, and you're wondering, how do I go to another day of this? Or maybe you're on a job search, and how do I face another day of being rejected in my job search? Or how do I face another day going home where my spouse is absent? How do I face another day of chemo, another day of, of fill-in-the-blank? I'm so excited for our Christmas Eve service coming up in a few weeks when Alice and Brian are going to address this through a theme uh, that night, um, A Weary World Rejoices, and I encourage you to come back to invite your friends, especially those of you who are weary or those you know who are weary, bring them back. I want you to know that I, we're not preaching a prosperity gospel here. It's not, uh, I don't see any evidence of a plan that says give and you will get. If you give to God, then all your problems will go away. That's not what we're saying. I think in what we're seeing in this story is, is the same thing that Jesus said when he said, come to me all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden and I will give you rest. Right in the midst of your, tr of your struggle, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of what you're experiencing, I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come, to seek his presence. Just as Carlos said, to bring everything and give it up to God this morning and let him fill you with his rest. Consider what that treasure, what a treasure that rest is. And, and if you've experienced this, then let it move you that you might give so that others can experience this as well. Give to the spiritual needs of others so they can have this same experience and encounter Jesus. Support that mission of God. And if you haven't experienced this, or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, 
I don't know if I believe in all this. I think this is just kind of maybe a ploy to get me to try to give some money or something. I want you to not think about giving at all. I encourage you to just think about God's presence. Think about where you've experienced his presence, where you might experience his presence. Focus on his presence in your life and his rest and his good gifts in your life. And let God move your heart over time towards giving. Our church sent out a budget uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we voted on it, and it passed these last couple weeks. This is a really detailed, well-thought-out, uh, flexible plan. In fact, um, it goes, uh, it, the asset management team comes together, and they look over um, all the income lines and the, and the uh, expense lines, and they study it really well, and, uh, and then they look over like uh, models that have five-year predictions and, and five years past, and they, they put together a really good first draft, and they bring it to the senior leaders, and the senior leaders give some input into this budget, and it goes back to the asset management team that comes back to the board, and the board gives some input. And it's a really detailed, thought-out plan, just like my wife and I make at home. <laughs> and, uh, but it's really important. It's really important because we want to make sure that every dollar you give to this church is used well to help people encounter Jesus and to learn to follow him into this life and into rest and to find their home and their greatest desire in Jesus. And the good news is your role in this, those of you who voted, we thank you. I encourage all of you in the future, if you didn't vote, to vote because your voice matters. It's important to us. And then I just encourage you to, to think about this, to think about God's presence, and then to give as your heart is moved. Give as you're willing to give to help us so we can continue this mission that God has given to this church. I just encourage you this week, where's your treasure? Think about where your treasure is. Is it on earth? Is it in heaven? What is it that you treasure most? How have you experienced God's presence as treasure? And how might your heart be moving you to respond to his presence in your life? I invite the worship band back up for some more singing. Let's pray as they come forward to lead us. Father, thank you so much for the amazing treasure of Jesus the amazing treasure of your love, the amazing treasure of your presence with us. Father, you uh, enable us to be able to serve you, to walk with you, to enjoy you without fear in total freedom. God, I know there are people in this room who, who are hurting, who are struggling, who uh, need to sense your presence even more closely and, and more tangibly in their lives this morning and this week, and I ask that that would be their experience as they go through their week. And I ask for all of us, Lord, who, who know of your presence, who have experienced it, that we would consider the value of that in our lives and that we would respond accordingly, that we would, Lord, give so that others can experience that. We would give out of a, out of a message of thanks and praise to you and a desire, Lord, that, that we love you and your presence is what's most important in our lives. Help us now to turn our hearts to you and to worship you in song. It's in your name we pray. Amen.